My name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of leading us in God's Word. And this morning, we're starting a new series. The title is, Can I Trust the Bible, and Why Would I? So it is your lucky day, because we're starting with Calvin and Hobbes. Great ideas. One dollar. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, well, go soak your head. Hey, that'll be one dollar. So, opening question, who or what do I listen to? And I'm not talking about, like, the small questions in life, like, what am I going to have for breakfast? What am I going to do this afternoon after church? I'm talking about the big questions of life, the worldview questions of life. And there are, there are five worldview questions. The first one is origin. Where did I come from? Where did everything come from? And the second question is identity. Who am I? Who am I really? And meaning, number three, what is my purpose? How, how many people go through their lives not knowing what the purpose in life is? What a tragedy. Morality. What is right and wrong? Do you ever get the sense that we live in a culture that has a problem discerning what is right and wrong? No one can agree. Who's the authority? How do you determine what is right and wrong? And destiny. Where am I going? I mean, after church, I'm going home. But I mean, like, where am I going, like, in the end? Like, after we die? Is that it? Are we just, are our bodies just buried and we cease to exist? Or is there life after death? And if there is, what is it like? What happens after I die? Origin, identity, meaning, morality, destiny. These are the big questions in life. Every person alive has a deep longing to answer those questions. Because these are important questions. And what is our authority? Where do we get the answers? Who do we listen to? Or what do we listen to? Winston Churchill said this, Men stumble over the truth from time to time, but most pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. Jesus said in John 8, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So why would we want the truth? Why would we listen to Jesus? Why would we listen to his word, according to this verse, when we know the truth, when we, when we know Jesus, then we are truly free. So can I trust the Bible, and why would I? This is the introduction to our series, and it's based upon the book, Why I Should Trust the Bible by William Mounts. And so we're going to discuss three questions this morning. The first one is this, can I trust the Bible? I'm just going to give an introduction to that question. First, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 to 17a says this, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true 
and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So a few things to highlight from this verse. First, all scripture is inspired by God. So all scripture, all 66 books of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, inspired by God. So you might wonder, what, that word inspired, what in the world does that mean? The Greek word that's translated often as inspired is theonoustos. Theo is God, and noustos is breathed. So the literal translation would be, all scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. God out, breathed out by God. God is the source of scripture. So you almost wonder if it should be translated, all scripture is expired by God. But that wouldn't really fly, would it? But God is the source. And it's useful. Scripture is useful. Why? To teach us what is true. If we want our lives to be founded on truth, then we will go to Scripture. And makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. I'm sure all of us were like, we just can't wait to find out what's wrong in our lives, right? (laughs) Yeah. We should want to know what's wrong in our lives because what's wrong in our lives is actually destroying us. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. A.T. Robertson said this, One proof of the inspiration of the Bible is that it has withstood so much poor preaching. (laughs) All right, a few stats. The whole Bible has been translated into 724 languages. The New Testament has been translated into an additional 1,617 languages. And smaller portions of the Bible have been translated into 1,248 additional languages. And those are stats from the Wycliffe Global Alliance. Guinness World Records says this, the best-selling book of all time is the Christian Bible. The total number probably lies between 5 and 7 billion copies. And Charles Colson wrote this, the Bible, banned, burned, and beloved, more widely read, more frequently attacked than any other book in history. Generations of intellectuals have attempted to discredit it. Dictators of every age have outlawed and executed those who read it. Yet soldiers carry it into battle, believing it more powerful than even their weapons. Fragments of it smuggled into solitary prison cells have transformed ruthless killers into gentle saints. My guess is there are those of us in this room who would say, the Bible has transformed my life as well. So what does the Bible say about the Bible? So it says a lot about itself, but four things I want to highlight. One, it's breathed by God. We already talked about that. Breathed out by God. God is the source. And if you think about that, if God is the source and God is perfect, then, of course, the Bible is perfect. And that's what the Bible speaks of itself as, perfect. 
the theologians will say, is without error in the original manuscripts. It is profitable. It is useful. It is worth our time and investment in studying it, meditating on it, and knowing it. And it is complete. It is complete. It tells us everything we need to know about God and about knowing him and about who we are in relation to him. There's nothing that we need to know about God and about how to know him and relate to him that the Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible is complete. No new books are going to be added to the Bible. Breathed by God, perfect, profitable, and complete. And if anyone tells you, like, God said this to me, blank, your first response should be, hmm, interesting. Well, let me go test that against Scripture. Because Scripture is our authority, our perfect authority, our complete authority. Funny story to illustrate that. This young man who attending church, and he notices a young lady at church that he quite attracted to. So after a while, he musters up the courage, and he goes up to her, and he says, God told me that we should date. <laughs> and her response, well, that's funny. I talk to him every day, and he told me nothing about you. Psalm 119.105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. The Bible isn't just an intellectual exercise. It's not about knowing information. The Bible is our source of light to guide us and direct us to have life. So can I trust the Bible? So a few evidences that we should look at. One is internal evidence. So internal evidence refers to the evidence within the scriptures itself. So the Bible was written over a period of 1,400 years. Any of you been around that long? 1,400. That's a long time. 1,400 years. Three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Hebrew, Old Testament, smattering of Aramaic, and Greek, the New Testament. The Bible is written by 40 authors on three different continents. And yet, the Bible has no contradictions, agrees with itself, and paints this beautiful picture of the grand plan of redemption. How is that possible? It's a miracle. It's God's work. Over 1,400 years, three languages, 40 authors on three different continents, Paul ends right this, writes this. The Bible is a marvelous, unified whole. There are no contradictions or inconsistencies within its pages. It quickly becomes apparent that no human being or human beings could have orchestrated the harmony of the teachings of the Scripture. The divine authorship of the Bible is the only answer. Can I trust the Bible? Prophetic evidence. So consider this. This is from Bob Nemond, a friend of mine. There are over 300 predictions about Messiah in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ 
has fulfilled over 100 to date. The rest will be fulfilled in the coming ages. These predictions were all made between 1,400 years and 400 years before Jesus' birth. Many of them center on issues that he had no control over. So did he get just incredibly lucky? Or is he the Messiah, God in the flesh? So what are the chances that Jesus fulfilled prophecies by chance? Is it possible that he fulfilled these prophecies by chance? So if he just fulfilled eight of the Old Testament prophecies by chance, the probability would be one and 10 to the 17th power. So for the mathematicians in here, that's a 10 with 17 zeros after it. That's a big number. 48 prophecies would be 1 in 10 to the 157th power. So 1 in 10 with 157 zeros after it. And by way of comparison, the estimated number of electrons in the entire known universe is 10 to the 79th power. So mathematicians will tell us that anything over 10 to the 50th power is just impossible. So how many prophecies did Jesus actually fulfill? Over 100 already. Do you think Jesus fulfilled those by chance? I don't think so. It sure sounds like God is behind the scriptures. Can I trust the Bible? External evidence. www.gotquestions.org says this. Through archaeological evidence and extra-biblical writings, the historical accounts of the Bible prove time and again to be accurate and true. And again... Same website says this. In fact, all the archaeological and manuscript evidence supporting the Bible makes it the best documented book from the ancient world. And by the way, if this stuff interests you, there is so much more information out there to dig into this. Uh, www.gotquestions.org is a great resource, as is uh, William Lane Craig's website, reasonablefaith.org. And uh, just you can Google questions on, and watch on YouTube. There are so many researchers out there. And there's actually a great book. It's called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. It's by Frank Turek and Norm Geisler. So what is your highest authority? I mean, think about the world that we live in. What, do, what are people's highest authority? Like one of the most obvious answers that I think of is science. We live in a very scientific-minded age. A lot of people believe in science. But does science change? Yeah, it does. Yeah, every day it does. Example, find like a science textbook from 50 years ago. And you'll read it and you go like, I can't believe they believe this. But here's the funny thing. 
Our tendency is to think that we, right now, in 2023, are at the pinnacle of scientific knowledge. But what do you think the science books in 50 years are going to say? They're going to look back and they go, oh, I can't believe in 2023 they believed this. So what's your authority? And science doesn't answer many questions in life. I would say the most important questions are not answered by science. In fact, some people say science is the only way to have true knowledge. But think about that for a second. That statement cannot be proven by science. So you can't know it. How about another source of authority? Your feelings. How many people trust their feelings? Do you think that's a good idea to trust your feelings? <laughs> Have your feelings ever failed you? And if you say no, you're wrong, and you know it. So what else is your authority? Can you think of any good source of authority? Solid source of authority to base your life on. I know, some of you are saying, Twitter. Please, I don't have to say anything more about that, do I? The Bible ought to be, needs to be, our final source of authority. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. All right, question number two. Why would I trust the Bible? John 5, 39 to 40. So Jesus is... Uh, having a discussion, we will say, with the Pharisees and religious leaders. And Jesus says this to them, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. But you refuse to come to me to receive this life. So again, the Bible is not an, it's not an intellectual exercise. The Bible points to Jesus the Bible doesn't give us life. The Bible points to Jesus who gives us life. The Word of God and the Word of God. The Word of God, Scriptures, points us to the Word of God, Jesus. Treasure the Scriptures because they point to Jesus in whom is life. A.W. Tozer writes this, the Bible is not an end in itself, but it means to bring us to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God. So why would I trust the Bible? Because I want to know God. Because I want to know Jesus. Because I want life in his name. In John 20, Near the end of John's gospel, he writes this. These are written, he's talking about the entire book of John, all the miracles and all the teachings of Jesus. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So why, why the scriptures? So that we may have life in Jesus' name. Why do we read scriptures? Why do we trust scriptures? Because we want to have life in Jesus' name. Because we want to walk with him. We want to know him. We want to have life 
you might be wondering, well, what, is, what does that mean? What does life mean? I've got three phrases to sum it up. Forgiven life, fulfilling life, and forever life. Forgiven life is offered to us by Jesus. That's the gospel. Acts 3.19 says this, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. What a precious truth. That your sins may be wiped away. The Bible says that every one of us has a deep longing to be right with God. We have a deep longing to be forgiven. We all know we're sinners. We know we're broken. We know we've blown it. And we know that there is a God and he will judge. And the Bible has this great news that our sins can be wiped away when we put our faith in Jesus. Forgiven life. And fulfilling life, John 10.10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, and I came that they have my life and life abundantly. And we see it all around us today. We see the destruction around us of evil. The Bible says that is the doing of Satan. We live in a sinful, broken world. But there is one. There is one who has who has gained victory over our enemy, over Satan, and given us victory over sin, and that is Jesus. And in that victory, he gives us abundant life, fulfilling life, forgiven life, fulfilling life, and then forever life. In that passage, we might remember of Jesus resurrecting Lazarus from the dead. He says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Our bodies are getting older. You notice that? And we have this hope that as our bodies get older and fall apart, we know that they will eventually die, but we have this hope that that's not the end. And that we have a new body and a new heaven, no crying, no pain, no tears in the presence of our God and our King forever. Paul Little says this, Bible study is like eating peanuts. The more you eat, the more you want to eat. I don't know about you, but I'm not a fan of the peanuts. I like Calvin and Hobbes. But no, really though, I, I thought, you know, I'll fix this quote. Bible studies like drinking kombucha. So that's my version. All right, number three, how do I trust the Bible? A.W. Tozer says this, Anyone who wants to know God must give him time. Count no time wasted which is spent in the cultivation of his acquaintance. I first read this quote when I was in college, during my college years, and I remember it was so impactful for me because it was this recognition that even if I spend time seeking God in prayer and in his word, reading the scriptures, and if I don't feel it, anyone can, 
Anyone? Yeah, amen, Steve. You done that, anyone? Read the Bible and you're like, I'm just not feeling it. I'm not connecting. This quote encourages me because it reminds me, I still spent my time well because I was seeking God. Justin Peters says this, want to hear God speak? Read your Bible. Want to hear God speak audibly? Read your Bible out loud. So anyone know who Herman Udix is? Herman Udix. Hermeneutics is the branch of knowledge that deals with interpretation, especially of the Bible or ancient literary texts. So um, actually, the, the young adult group on Tuesday nights, we've uh, been studying hermeneutics. We're just about done. Uh, we've been going through using an outline of a book from uh, a guy named Fee and a guy named Stuart, and it's called Understanding the Bible for All It's Worth. Great book if you want to learn about hermeneutics. So question, is it possible to misunderstand the Bible? Yeah, I, I would agree. So funny story to illustrate. A woman was in an unhappy marriage and she had an eye on another guy. And she was reading the Bible and God spoke to her through Ephesians 4.24. It says, put on the new man. An old seminary professor of mine, uh, my hermeneutics professor in seminary, said this. His name is Richard Mayhew. He said, beautiful things in the Bible I see put there by you and by me. So why do we misunderstand the Bible? Number one, it's, it's our fault because we are sinful people and we want God to say what we want him to say. Our tickling ears just want to hear what we want to hear. So what is good hermeneutics? What is the right way to interpret Scripture? So obviously there are books on this, and, and there are, you know, you, you, you can just dig in deeply, and, uh, and we've been doing that as a young adult group. But here, here's just a very brief, like a few very important rules for good interpretation of the Bible. First is recognizing that the Bible is both a divine book and a human book. It's a divine book because God is the source. The Holy Spirit inspired it. But it's a human book in that God chose to use human authors at a certain time in history. These human authors who had their own personalities had their own, their own experiences, etc., and living in their own context, in their own cultural and historical context, God chose to use them to bring about his word. And so a key question that we need to answer when interpreting the Bible correctly is to ask the question, what did the author intend to communicate? That is the key question. So, for example, in our little joke of put on the new man, is that what Paul had in mind? Of course not. And that brings out a, a few contexts that's so key. Context is historical context, cultural context, and literary context. So literary context is when you read a word in the scriptures, 
to understand that properly, you want to look at the context. So how's that word, what does it mean in the context of the sentence in which it is found? And what does that sentence mean in the context of the paragraph in which it is found? And what does the paragraph mean in the context of the chapter and the book in which it's found? And since God is the author of the entire scriptures, that whole book, how do I understand this book in the context of all of scriptures as a whole? The big picture. Historical context, cultural context, literary context. What do the author intend to communicate? That is the key question. So here's another kind of funny uh, example. In, in 2 Corinthians 13, 12, we we have this verse that some people might say, Steve, you are not obeying this verse. What, you don't take seriously scripture, huh? Okay, let me read it to you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. So how many of you, when you walked in the service this morning, were greeted with a holy kiss? My guess is that if you were greeted with a holy kiss, you would probably not come back. Because that is not what we do in our culture. That would be super awkward. So when Paul wrote that, that was in the context of the culture in which they lived, during which that was the way they greeted each other. And it's probably like a kiss on both cheeks. They still actually do that in uh, that area of the world these days. So what did Paul really mean? What Paul meant was greet each other in a loving and welcoming way. Greet your brothers and sisters in Christ with love. So how do we do that today? Well, I can assure you that me giving you a kiss would not be in love. So what do we do today? We might say greet each other with a, a holy handshake or a holy fist bump. Or if we know each other fairly well, a holy hug. So how do I trust the Bible? Have confidence in his story, the story of redemption. And we can get so caught up in the, in the little things that we miss out on the big picture. Don't miss the forest for the trees. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 says this, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. The picture, the story of redemption, that's the big picture. How do I trust the Bible? Focus on the big picture. So, you know, we can get caught up in the small things. So what are, what are some of the big things? What are some of the most important things? Let me just highlight a few. These are essential doctrines, the essential truths of the Christian faith. In other words, if you don't believe this, then you're not in line with historic Christianity. And you're not in line with the scriptures. Okay, number one, the deity of Christ. Scripture teaches very clearly that Jesus is God in the flesh. Another is salvation by grace, not by works. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. The resurrection of Christ, that is a key truth of the Christian faith. Jesus bodily rose from the dead. 
and the Trinity. God is one in essence. Christians are monotheists. We believe in one God. But God is, God is three in one, three persons in one. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. So what are the, some, of the, some of the least, some of the non-important, non-essential, we should say, doctrines? Okay, so for example, what human author wrote the book of Hebrews? We don't know. Oh no, I can't figure out who wrote Hebrews. My faith is a mess. I'm, I can't be a Christian anymore until I figure out who wrote Hebrews. Scholars can't figure it out. I mean, there's certain guesses, educated guesses, but we just don't know. How about this? What's the relationship between free will and God's sovereignty? Anyone figure that one out? So if you want to have a really good discussion on this, if you want the answer, just come after the service and talk to Daniel. (laughs) How about this? What is the correct view of the end times? Um, there's, there's a number of different valid ways of interpreting. I mean, of course, uh, good theologians or good pastors ought to have, like, their preference. Like, this is the one I, I believe this is the one that, that is more in line with what Scripture teaches. But that's not a hill I'd die on. That's not the gospel. That's not essential. So reality is is that we can't have all the answers. Focus on the big picture. How do I trust the Bible? Love his authority. You know, we are a people. We don't like authority. We don't want anyone telling us how to live. But if God, if God loves you and the scripture is his word, don't you want to put your life under his authority, under the authority of his word? Mark Twain says this, Most people are bothered by those passages of Scripture they do not understand. But the passages that bother me the most are the ones I do understand. Jesus said in Luke 6, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? So one of the best ways that we can trust the Bible is to welcome the questions. God, I just want to obey you, want my life to be in line with your truth, with your word. And if I don't understand something, I'm going to dig in. I'm not going to base my faith on not knowing. Just because I don't have an answer doesn't mean I'm going to reject it all. We can be confident. Base your faith on the reality, the historical evidence of the resurrection, and the strong evidence for the scriptures being God's word. And in the coming, coming weeks, as we move forward in the series, we're going to give, dig into this more and talk about, the, like, can we trust the Bible, the manuscript that we have, or, are the translations we have, are, is it trustworthy? And the answer is yes. But two things to highlight. One, you will never have all your questions answered. It's just not going to happen. And number two, questions are a friend of faith, not an enemy. C.S. Lewis says this, When we come to scriptures, we come not to learn a subject, but to steep ourselves in a person. Scripture 
wrestling with scriptures, wrestling with the questions is worth it because in the process we get to know our Savior. The famous theologian E.F. Trust says this, don't wrestle against him, wrestle with him. I'm going to close with the scripture from Hebrews. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So what do we do with this? Trust the Bible. Entrust your life to Jesus and live. Would you please stand with me as we close in prayer? Jesus, we thank you for giving us your word and the confidence that we can have in looking to your word. We can trust your word and we want to trust your word because we want to entrust our lives to you because you are the one who gives life. So would you, Lord, we pray, would we be a people of your of your book, of the scriptures, because we want the life, we want the life that you have for us. We want to know you and walk with you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.